As a father, I wasn't going to be able to watch my kids grow up. I wasn't going to be able to go play baseball with my boys or basketball. I wasn't going to be able to take my daughter to, you know, ballet or, you know, the things that she liked to do, you know, gymnastics. I wasn't going to be able to do any of this anymore because my whole life just been stolen. This is For Life, the podcast from Sony Pictures Television and ABC. I'm your host, Isaac Wright Jr. In America, it is estimated that there are thousands of wrongful convictions each year. Thousands more are overcharged and oversentenced. In 1991, I was one of the thousands of people wrongfully convicted of a crime. I was sentenced to life in prison and unfortunately had no hope for freedom and no one to fight for me other than myself. I taught myself the law and as a paralegal, I was able to help some of my fellow inmates get reduced sentences and released from wrongful convictions while seeking my own justice. After eventually getting my own conviction overturned, I became a lawyer and I've continued to be an advocate for those in need. My story also inspired the new fictional drama series For Life on ABC. But there are so many others with stories like mine. In this six-part series, we're hearing real-life first-person accounts of other wrongfully convicted men and women who against all odds prevailed, were exonerated, and emerged from their unthinkable adversity with grace and purpose. These are stories of tenacity, faith, friendship, transformation, compassion, and family. In 1990, Antoine Day was a 28-year-old father of five living in Chicago. By day, he worked as a butcher. At night, he was a drummer and singer with a band that toured the country. More than anything, Antoine loved being a dad. Antoine had just returned from New Orleans with his band when detectives contacted him about a recent robbery and homicide in his area. What happened next would rob Antoine of everything that mattered to him and rob his kids of the father they needed. But Antoine's story isn't about his family's ruin. It's about his family's resilience. This is Antoine's story. My name is Antoine Day. I'm 58, raised in Alabama and in Chicago. My mother sang with Little Richard when she was a kid, when they was coming up in the South. Me and my mom used to just sing, 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 and that, that really gave me my inspiration to, to continue singing. My dream was always to record and put music out here. We was a tight family, four boys, five girls. We ate together. We did a lot of uh, family functions. We had barbecues. We celebrated birthdays. We celebrated holidays. At the time of my arrest, me and my kids were very close. I had five. Nakiva was 10. She's my oldest daughter. Antoine was the oldest boy. We did the zoo, we played the parks. We watched a lot of sports. We loved cars, so we was into race cars and building model cars. So these are the things that was left behind when I was taken away. I was 28 years old. I wanted to be sewn into that fabric of memories that we did this together, we did that together. So I always wanted to have that. I'm a family guy who had uh, great expectations on uh, 
being a father, being a provider for my family, you know, it was all about that. Shortly after coming home from his gig in New Orleans, Antoine learned that local police were trying to contact him. Once I returned, I seen a, a detective card at my door. My neighbor came and said, hey, man, the police been all around your house. They wanted to talk to you about a shooting that went down last night. They were looking for whomever had a black vehicle in the community. I had a black blazer that the engine was totally locked on. The car wouldn't start, but it was parked in front of my building. And they rolled past. They took the license plate number. And uh, that's how it began. The shooting in question occurred on September 1st during a dice game outside a liquor store on the west side of Chicago. Around 1.30 in the morning, two armed men robbed the game and shot two victims, Thomas Peters and James Coleman. Peters was killed. Witnesses said the getaway car was black. Even though Antoine knew nothing about the crime, he called the detective who had been looking for him. I contacted the detective. And he told me that we just want to talk to you and see what you know about blah, 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 blah. So I said, I don't know anything about it because I was out of town. And I just got back last night. So I don't know anything about it. Well, can you just come in and, you know, we just want to clear your name and we can move on to the next person. I started thinking about it. You know, maybe I should get me an attorney and make sure that, you know, no underhanded stuff get done. So I did. He went into the police station with me. They didn't hunt me down, they didn't run me over. I walked into the police station and uh, they took me up to a waiting room. And there was a guy sitting in the room. I didn't know who this guy was, he didn't know who I was. And we began to talk over an hour. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. He said, neither do I. He said, my cousin got killed, man. I don't know what they dragging me in here for. So we just talking. I don't know he's talking about the guy that they want me to they trying to charge me with the case. Then the uh, detective asked me would I stand in the lineup. I said, you sure? Because I know I haven't done anything. So this guy, he go one way, I go the other. But this guy is the one who identified me in the lineup after we didn't sit here and talk for a whole hour. I told him I was innocent from the very beginning. I knew nothing about what you're talking about. I had nothing to do with anything. I just got here from New Orleans, you know, had proof of everything. They didn't want to hear that. They said, well, you fit the description. I said, well, I bet you there's a thousand other people who fit the same description in this community. And then they charged me with murder. So you've been positively identified. You're being charged with first-degree murder, first-degree attempt murder, unlawful use of a weapon. He came off about 50 different things. And from that point on, I was locked up in the jail. They kept me in different police stations. For, it felt like a whole week, but it might have been two days. No food, cold. I just couldn't understand what was going on. They asked me a bunch of questions. One cop kept calling me a liar, you know. And uh, I kept asking for the lawyer. His daughter had a birthday party that day, so he, he disappeared. He, he let me go to the dogs because of a birthday party. Until I went into the lineup, up to that point, I could have left. 
At the time of Antoine's arrest, his youngest child was two years old. His oldest child, a son also named Antoine, was 11. He wasn't his biological son, but Antoine had raised him as his own. Nakiva, Antoine's oldest daughter, remembers when she first heard about her father's arrest. My name is Nakiva Day. I'm 39 years old. As a kid, I idolized my dad. I thought he was the best at everything, especially singing. Any chance I can get, I wanted to be with my dad. My dad bought me a blue bike, and it had a black banana seat. I have a memory of him teaching me how to ride without training wheels. I think he bought me the bike for Christmas. On that same bike, I find out that my dad was arrested. I was 10. I called my mom, and I told her what happened. She cried so hard she was sick because she knew this wasn't true. She knew where I was. I mean, everybody knew where I just came from, so nobody second-guessed was this true or not because they knew it wasn't true. I spoke to my dad. My dad is a, is a military man. He believes in the order. He believes in the police. He couldn't believe that this, this is happening, you know, to somebody in his family, this, in, this injustice. My mother broke down, and, and they only gave me like two minutes to talk to her. Then they took the phone. You know, it take a lot for me to really talk about this anymore because it's, 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 it's a, just a terrible thing that you, you, you really don't always want to remember. Antoine's bail was $275,000, too high for him or his family to afford. But he did pay for a private attorney to represent him at trial. As Antoine and his lawyer strategized his defense, they had several legal setbacks. The first setback occurred when the original judge assigned to the case changed, which they feared would affect his bench trial. A bench trial is when the judge decides the case without a jury. Their second setback was when they were not able to secure a separate trial from the other man arrested in connection with the crime, a man Antoine believed was actually guilty. Well, I was tried with the actual shooter, the guy who committed the crime. Originally, he told me that I fit the description, but the description of the shooter was he was like 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds, curly hair. That's not me, up or down. And instead of them releasing me, they wanted to try the both of us. So there I sit next to a guy who actually committed this crime. I never like to say my co-defendant. I was the victim. He was the defendant. He was the guy who did the shooting. He's the guy who sits in prison right now for the shooting. I never met this man. I never seen him in my life. I tried to have a separate trial, but the judge wouldn't separate us. Antoine's family continued to support him throughout the process. My whole family was there. The kids' moms, the friends, neighbors, people that I work for, people that I work with, my bandmates, everybody was there. Well, I didn't want the kids there. Well, I didn't want them to see me being taken away in handcuffs. I didn't want that for my kids. As a father, I was saying I wasn't going to see my kids again. I wasn't going to watch be able to watch my kids grow up. 
I wasn't going to be able to go play baseball with my boys or basketball. I wasn't going to be able to take my daughter to, you know, ballet or gymnastics. I wasn't going to be able to do any of this anymore. Because my whole life just been stolen. My kids' life been stolen. They didn't know to blame somebody else. They thought I exited, that I ran out on them. They didn't know any better. There were several alibi witnesses and eyewitnesses who could have cleared Antoine at his bench trial, but none of them were called to testify. In November 1992, Antoine was found guilty of first-degree murder, attempted murder, and other charges. He was sentenced to 60 years in prison. He did what I expected him to do. I didn't expect for him to say, not guilty. But my family was very upset because they was hopeful. They was hoping that I was wrong. I remember the reaction of my family when the judge found me guilty. I heard my mother scream, a piercing scream that really just tore my heart up. I just looked ahead. I can hear her saying, son, we're going to get you out of here. We're going to get you out of here. Don't you worry about it. We're going to get you out of here. And then I also heard the family start applauding. They were clapping. They were, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I heard it all. I heard my sisters crying. I heard my brothers, they ready to tear up the courtroom. They ready to fight everybody angry. I felt nothing. It actually killed me. It took the life out of my body. I felt so violated. I was at my weakest moment you know, when he did this to me. So it was, it was devastating. I didn't learn the reason why my dad was in jail until he was found guilty. I knew it was a bad thing, but I didn't know how bad. You listen to family talking, my dad's friends talking and they explaining, but you still don't understand. But I always heard that my dad didn't do it, that he was nowhere on the scene. It broke him. It broke his family. According to a study commissioned by the Children's Bureau, over 7 million children in the United States have a parent who is or has been incarcerated. Antoine was sent to Pontiac Correctional Center, a men's maximum security prison in Pontiac, Illinois. The first night in the men's maximum security prison, I was thinking about survival. How am I going to get through this? Because on my way into the prison, first thing the prison guard said at the opening of the gate, he said, welcome to Pontiac. Well, in less than an hour, you're going to either own your own knife or you're going to have somebody's knife in you. So keep your head up. Keep your eyes open. It smelled like death. Like if it would, there was a body laying somewhere. Nobody knew of it yet, but you can smell it. It was hard to sleep. It was hard to focus. It was hard to concentrate. You can hear the racking of bars. You can hear people crying. You can hear people yelling, fighting in their cell. You hear the sound of guards walking with the guns in their hand. You can hear them, you know. Just noise, just so much pollution.
family would sustain Antoine and keep him focused through his wrongful incarceration. The theme of family can also be found in Sony and ABC's fictional drama series, For Life. Here is Joy Bryant, who plays Aaron's ex-wife Marie, speaking about how it plays an important role in the series. She represents the family unit. She still loves him, even though they can't be together. Her being in this constant state of longing for the, the man that she loves, the life that they had, the life that could have been, a longing to keep her family connected, that was something that was definitely a theme. Be sure to watch Sony Pictures Television and ABC's drama series, For Life, Tuesdays at 10, 9 central on ABC. Now, back to Antoine's story. Antoine's children came to visit him as much as they could. Nikiva recalls one of her first visits. I was excited. I haven't seen my dad since he first got, you know, locked up. I was hoping that everything went right because I wanted to see him. I was shocked when I walked in the building. I remember we had to sit in the orange plastic chairs. We had to wait till it was our turn. And then, that's when I started learning how to wear masks. Being tough. It was me, my grandma, and my aunt. We kept walking, and we finally see my dad. He's smiling, he's behind the glass. And I remember he told me he loved me. Then, you know, all the grown ups started talking, so I was kind of like in the background, just waiting for everybody to get a chance to talk to my dad. I want to see my dad. Kiva looked taller, Antoine looked taller. My hair was in pigtails, his hair was cut short. You know, they were growing up, and I couldn't see it. But I tried to stay connected with my kids any way possible. I would write letters, I would call, whichever way I could. I remember one time I wrote him a, um, a letter, and I put a quarter in there, in the letter for him to call me. Because I don't think I was talking to him enough. The letters was really connecting us. It was a chance for the kids to say what they really felt. My kids talked about the pain, about the absent father, about how some of them cried at night because they wanted you to be there. The other dads out here at the football games, my kids felt bad. My kids felt like if something happened to them, Nobody had their backs. If your dad ain't there, nobody got your back. The years were taking a toll on Antoine and his family. He felt trapped. But about five years into Antoine's sentence, his sister connected him with a retired criminal defense attorney named Howard Joseph, who paid Antoine a surprise visit in prison. You know, he was real bossy. He was like, you Antoine, you know, he said, uh, I'm Howard Joseph. Uh, I read your paperwork. I see what they've done to you. I'm going to get you out of here. Don't talk to anybody about your case. I just need you to be patient. The shocking part was when he said, I'm your attorney. I don't want to die from you. From that point on, we were on the phone four times a week. 
And he would drive down by himself from Chicago to Pontiac, and he was a blessing for me. I can tell he was different. He filed appeals, and we didn't hear anything. Then they was denied, and then they was denied. And he said, hey, don't worry about that. That's their job to deny it. But it's my job to keep bringing it up. As Howard Joseph, or as Antoine called him, Mr. Joe, worked tirelessly to get him out of prison, Antoine's family tried to keep it together as best they could. His oldest son, Antoine, was having an especially hard time with his father's incarceration. His mother took him to prison so his dad could talk to him. We had a conversation about how he needed to stay safe because I heard he was running around with a crowd that wasn't good. He told me he would be fine. He said, hey, Dad, I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm not doing anything. I'm just working on these cars and going to school. But your kids ain't going to tell you everything. My brother, he, so much talent, is so smart. He was just as empty as I was, you know? I was looking for love and a lot of wrong places. I was really struggling. We needed fathers. Uh, a mother can do what she can do with a, uh, with a son, but you need your father. You need that structure. Your mother cannot teach you how to be a man. So a lot of things he had to get from the street. He was real smart, obedient. He was really a good kid. He loved to work on cars. He was always good with his hands, even as a kid. As a little boy, he just loved to make faces. He was just one of them little guys that, that always had a, a comedic side to him. And uh, that's what I admired. He, he was his own guy. We had a great relationship, and he thought this was the worst thing that could have happened to me. He felt like he'd been robbed. Felt like now he has to make decisions on his own that he, he, he knew he couldn't do, but he had to. To hear my babies crying and, and knowing that they really feel as if they've been abandoned by me, it, it rips your soul out. In 1998, Antoine's life took another tragic turn. The prison chaplain came to a cell and told him to call home. Whenever he come to tell you, you have a phone call, somebody is deceased, and... Uh, it's supposed to be a surprise, a real subtle moment, but when you see him, you already know what then happened. So I just didn't know to who. He just told me I need to call home. So when he said, you need to call your mom, I was like, oh, God, it ain't my mother. Okay, must be my dad. So when I found out it was Twan, I was surprised. I was so shocked. I, I never would have thought of that. You know, when it, and when my mom told me that he was killed, I just was like, oh, man, I just can't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. He was kidnapped and murdered. He was murdered by somebody close to him. It was tragic. And thinking about it is like, it just happened yesterday. It's hard for me to talk about it. For a father to see your kids going through changes where you can't direct them, it was very difficult for me because I can smell an accident. You know, I can really pay 
attention to the atmosphere and tell that something's not right. The lowest moment of my incarceration was when Antoine got killed. My mother had a picture of Antoine, an eighth grade graduation picture of him. And he had braces on his teeth. And when he died, he still had braces. The death of his son hit Antoine extremely hard. To cope with the pain, he turned back to music. A few years earlier, Antoine had formed a band inside the prison. Pontiac had nothing to do other than weightlifting and going to the yard. I really was missing my music. So I went to the superintendent, Kelly. He put a work order in, and eventually equipment ended up coming from auditions. We brought white guys, black guys, Mexican guys, guys in different gangs. Anybody that wanted to play, we wanted to show them that we can all get along in this, and we did. We put on a pretty nice show for a prison, and um, they allowed us to head the equipment, which curbed a lot of violence in the, in the institution. You give guys something to work toward, and they work toward it just to keep it. All this time, Howard Joseph was fighting the system on Antoine's behalf. Finally, in October 2001, the Illinois Appellate Court overturned Antoine's conviction and granted him a new trial based on the inadequate legal defense he received at his bench trial. Antoine was stunned by the good news, and so was Howard. I was transferred from Pontiac to Stateville. So I was on the yard in Stateville, and a friend of mine, he said, hey man, Antoine Day, that's your full name, right? I said, yeah. He said, they got you in the newspaper, man. I said, yeah, okay. No, 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 they got you in the newspaper. So, you know, in prison, guys prank you all the time. So I got up and read it, and there it was in the paper. I was like, wow, this is it. I said, why Mr. Joe didn't call me? So I ran in. I got on the phone, and I called Mr. Joe, who curses like a sailor. Oh, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. They don't have you in the newspapers. If it, you got a reversal, I would know first. The state's attorney never told him that my case was going to be overturned, that I was going to refight this case. To await his new trial, Antoine was transferred to the county jail. His stay was uneventful until one morning he was jolted awake before dawn and moved from his cell, unexpectedly. They woke me up maybe like four o'clock in the morning. They come in, they said, hey, Day, get up, pack your shit. You're going to Division One. That's where Al Capone and all them guys was incarcerated. I said, why am I going to Division One? I got caught in a couple of days. I ain't done nothing. I went into a cell. There was somebody already in the cell. I see his feet, so I know I'm not in the room by myself, but I don't see anything else. I don't bother him, he don't bother me, he sleep. So they bring breakfast around. You can smell it. Sometimes it smells good, sometimes it smells terrible. But this particular morning, they had waffles. <laughs> I'll never forget it. they had waffles. And you can smell a syrup, you can smell a butter. They put two trays in there. I took one for myself and I took one for him and I sat on his bed, but he was still asleep. But when he woke up, he looked at me, I looked at him. They put me in the room with the man 
who killed my son. I can react and and kill him or he kill me. But either way, I wouldn't have been going home. I sat on the bed and he tried to talk to me. I said, hey man, I don't want to talk to you. I told the guard, I said, hey, I refuse housing. So the guard said, okay, so they moved me. But that was a very difficult moment. That was a lot of control. That was a lot of restraint. I wanted to be ahead of the game. I wanted to think ahead of the game. And that's what I did. I wanted to be free. I had a reason to live. I didn't have no reason to stay in prison because if I'd have killed him, that wouldn't have brought anything back. That wouldn't have gave me nothing back. I truly believe God was there at that particular time because I feel like I won. I feel like I had been challenged and I feel like I won. In May 2002, Antoine arrived in court. The prosecution dropped all charges. After spending over 10 years behind bars, Antoine was a free man. The judge told me that I was free to go. Nobody was in court, so nobody knew because they took us to court just like the spur of the moment. I didn't even get a chance to call home and tell my family I was going to court. So when I was released, they took me to the, back into the county jail. And in this big room, it was a, a pile of clothes. So this guard walked me to this room, and he said, if you want to go home, you better grab some off one of them piles, because you ain't going home in a uniform. So I grabbed whatever my hand hit, and I hit, my hand hit this jogging suit that was like a 4X and it smelled like a mule just got out of it. And it stank so bad, so bad, I felt like I had fleas and ticks and bed bugs and everything all in one. When I walked outside, it was raining, it was pouring down. And I stood out there for like two hours because I was trying to figure it out. How do I get home from here? Because when I left the county jail, I had $43 left on the books and they kept that. $43 is what they still owe me and I hope it recruits some interest. I was just standing there in the rain, and an old friend of mine drove past and saw me and stopped. It's like, man, Antoine, what you doing out here? Get in the car. I smelled so bad, he took me to a clothing store first. Then he took me to his house. I took a bath at his house, took, you know, shower and cleaned myself up, and then he took me to my mom's house. When I walked through the door, she was crying so hard. She was, she was really, 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 really excited and just emotionally overwhelmed. And we cried and we hugged and we cried and we hugged. I spent the whole day right there laying in her bed, being hugged up by her, you know, just, I felt like I was blessed, you know. I haven't had nobody love on me in a long time. Antoine's reunion with his mother was joyful, but his relationship with his kids, especially his daughter, Nakiva, would take time to heal. I felt bitter towards him. He wasn't my hero anymore. 
I didn't look up to him. I was mad at him. So when I first seen him, I still felt like a little girl. I had so much anger and resentment towards him. Because I felt like he disappointed me. But I loved him. What's been easy is us communicating, talking again. What's been hard is trying to catch up all that wasted and lost time because everybody expected something from me. It was hard mentally, emotionally on me, and it was hard mentally on them because they was looking for something that I wasn't able to give them like they wanted it, you know? I wasn't able to be 300%, you know, and, and it was difficult, very, very, very difficult. Nearly 10 years after his release, Antoine was officially exonerated and granted a certificate of innocence. It had taken nearly five years for attorney Howard Joseph to get Antoine out of prison. He went on to work in Mr. Joseph's small law office and the two men remained friends until Mr. Joseph passed away in 2007. When I got my certificate of innocence, that day was a very special day because Nobody has ever apologized, but the judge, he said, they should have told you they were wrong for what they did. So I'm apologizing. I'm apologizing for those people who couldn't apologize for themselves. And uh, he told me to walk with my head up. He said, Mr. Day, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You have everything to be proud of. It was a great feel because it was a judge that wrongfully took my freedom. So it was the judge that made me feel like, hey, you did something correct. You'll be okay. You know, so that made the difference. Antoine didn't stop playing music in prison, and he wasn't going to stop once he got out. He became one of the founding members of the Exoneree Band, a group made up entirely of musicians who were wrongfully incarcerated and ultimately exonerated. They perform and travel all over the world. I think it was 2010 we put this band together. It was a group of guys who had been exonerated from all across the country. Darby Tillis, Eddie Lowry, Raymond Towler, Bill, and myself. We all were wrongfully incarcerated, so we all was musicians in prison and out of prison. So we just put this band together, and we've been together ever since. We play all kind of music, from country to rock to jazz. This band means everything to me. This band is a band of brothers. We have built this relationship. And we love on one another so much. You know, it's like extended family. We travel, we talk, we play together. We do a lot of things. This band has really been significant in my life. I'm so glad to be a part of it. And uh, this band has made history. We got a brick in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We have really accomplished a lot. Antoine's advocacy work goes far beyond music. He and a fellow exoneree started Life After Justice, an organization that helps formerly incarcerated men and women transition to life on the outside. When guys come home from incarceration, they really have nowhere to go, especially the guys exonerated, because at the time we was coming home, we had nothing, no benefits. You know, we didn't have a halfway house. We didn't have any of that to go to. You just on the street, and as simple as that. So that's why Life After Justice was established, to give men and women an opportunity to have a clean, safe, 
place where you didn't have people using you because you've been to prison, taking advantage of you because you've been to prison. And whatever your family needed, we would support them as well. Antoine's family is on the road to healing, but it hasn't been easy. I'm not healed. I'm still healing. It really destroyed, you know, the fabric almost. It tapped, tapped real, real hard into the fabric of who we are as a people, as a family, as a father and a daughter. So you just have to be patient. You just have to fall back and, and just realize that what you went through, everybody went through it. Antoine's wrongful incarceration left his family fractured. Their healing journey has been long, but they're making their way together. And along that journey, he has gained love and purpose through his music and exoneree family. We're not looking for fame. We're just looking for a platform to tell people this story. Because it's not all about music, it's about this story. So I think that's the, one of the best parts of who we are as exonerees. We get a chance to reach out and talk to some of the people. I spent four years in the hole Four years in the hole I spent four years in the hole My mind, my body, my soul Four years in the hole Four years, yeah For Life, the podcast is produced by Treefort. Executive producers are Lisa Ammerman and Kelly Gardner for Treefort. And Nicholas Austin and Nathan Staudinger for Sony Pictures Television. Our producer is Tana E. Seabrook. With additional production help from Jamie Tenenbaum, Tim Schauer, and June Rosen. Tom Monahan is our senior audio engineer and sound supervisor with production and editing by Jasper Leak and production assistance from Elijah Wells. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to raise awareness and get the word out so more people can hear these powerful stories. The stories in this podcast are real. While the television series was inspired by my life, that story, including all characters, events, incidents, portrayed scenes, and dialogue, is fictitious. And be sure to watch Sony Pictures Television and ABC's drama series, For Life, Tuesdays at 10, 9 central on ABC. I'm Isaac Wright, Jr. <laughs>